came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come to America. Good morning, New York. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here. We have another great show for you today. Starting off, we have Congressman Peter King, uh, former Governor David Patterson. We have Carrie Martin, and she's going to tell us what's going on with the whale. We have Vito Fusella, the borough president, letting us know what's going on in Staten Island. But let's start with Mike Stoller and with a real estate report in New York. Good morning. This is Michael Stoller for the Stoller Real Estate Report on the Cats Roundtable. This morning, I have my friend from the Garden State, Jennifer Mazaway, who is a partner in the real estate land use practice at Genova Burns, a regional firm based in Newark, New Jersey. Jennifer, what's going on with uh, the city of Newark? Well, there's a lot going on in Newark. There's a lot of different asset classes and types that are getting approvals through the Municipal Planning Board and the Zoning Board. Lots of multifamily, in addition to hefty amount of industrial as well. There are challenges to both of those types of developments, though, in Newark. There's a big push by the city for additional affordable housing. And so that is kind of often one of the stumbling blocks that you'll see with developments actually coming to fruition there. They have uh, an inclusionary zoning ordinance that requires 20% all units to be affordable. And then on the industrial side, it's a little bit of a challenge because uh, New Jersey has a new, fairly new environmental justice statute that's being rolled out, right? You know, regulations are being rolled out, which impacts a number of industrial sites in Newark as well. So while those are two- What type of effect does it have? So it really impacts kind of your high polluter type industries, but there is a significant groundswell in the communities to stop those types of uses from coming in. Even though you're talking about zones for heavy industrial, those types of uses where even if they would be permitted, there'll be a significant amount of community input and involvement that goes into whether or not those are going to be able to. to Now, what about the redevelopment of office buildings into residential? So that's happening in Newark, a couple of different projects that I know of personally, and then there's also the anecdotal information that I'm hearing from others in other communities. But in yeah. Newark, there's uh, the Fireman's Insurance Building, which uh, is a large office building next to New Jersey Performing Arts Center, is being redeveloped into residential. It's also a historic building, so it is eligible for historic federal historic tax credits. And it's a beautiful building that will remain and that will be able to be an income-producing property in the city where now it's a vacant office building. What about the IDT building? And IDT, which has been kind of in people's minds to be redeveloped for at least a decade, now at least has an approved plan for a significant amount of residential to go there. And again, now that project, you know, that property is not an empty or vacant property now, but it's definitely under leased. There's uh, uh, under tenanted. So the idea of converting that to a residential project is actually very appealing. What's happening with the studio business with Lionsgate, Netflix, you know, in Jersey City, you know, Bayonne, Newark? Yeah, the the film industry is definitely very robust in, in New Jersey now. So in Newark itself, you have in the South Ward, which is typically a very underserviced ward as far as new developments go. 
you have a big project there for Lionsgate, and that resulted in the demolition of a very old housing project that had been there for a long time. And so this is a really nice way to, I, I think, improve that property in, in a ward that I think needs really needs the rateables and needs the needs that activity to happen. Jersey City is exploding also with with film studio space. Netflix is signing on to do to Fort Monmouth to do a big big project down there, which is a real boost to Monmouth County as well. And then Bayonne, and we're here. You know, we hear of Kearney and Harrison being in play for the also for those types of developments. I, I think one of the leading cities is Jersey City. What's happening over there with regard to the residential and the office market? It remains super hot in Jersey City. The multifamily is not really slowing down there. Planning board is filled week after week with new applications for primarily mixed use, but multifamily mixed use projects. And then on the retail front, you have a couple of things that the city's done, which is really great. They And this has been for a little while. They've closed up a piece of Newark Avenue to cars, and now it's all a pedestrian thoroughfare with restaurants and shops and things that you can do without the idea of having the traffic there. So it really becomes a great meeting place and gathering place for the people of Jersey City. And they are doing that in another part of Jersey City as well. So, what about the transit-oriented developments like uh, taking place in Morristown and other cities? Well, yeah, that's still, I, I think that's still really the best answer for, for the, you know, that's really the best development because you're getting a nice mix of millennials and people that want to, they're either still working in New York or working in in other cities, but they want to be able to have a place that has all of the amenities they want. Morristown has tons of shopping and ton- and restaurants for for millennials and really great access to the train. Jersey City obviously has that and has had that between the path and the train, and Newark has that with New Jersey Transit as well. So you know near Broad Street Station, which is a one or two seat ride to to Penn Station, New York, you have several new projects that are either contemplated or being built. There's one being built right now. What about Gateway in Newark with the Onyx work? Yeah, Onyx has done a really great job of repurposing Gateway. You know, when those buildings were built, they were meant to keep people off the street, really go from Penn Station to your office without ever having to touch ground in Newark. And what Gateway has done is they've transformed Gateway 1, which is directly across the street from New Jersey Transit, and made it a real inviting space for people to come not on the ground floor and then invite them into the building to then a brand new repurposed concourse, which has a number of new, mostly fast casual restaurants, but both national retailers and local. And so it's a really great opportunity. We have not had a lot of national food coming into Newark. So this is a great opportunity to have those kinds of places. What Chip about, City, things like that. You know, we were talking just before the, the show uh, about three or four years ago, before COVID, you were on my TV show, and you started two projects, and they still haven't come to fruition. <laughs> so it, it's taking a little while longer in New Jersey, but things are going on. And yeah. I'm happy that you were here joining me this morning on the Solar Real Estate Report. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me. With us today is former Congressman Peter King and uh, very knowledgeable, 28 years in the Congress. Good morning, Peter King. How are you this morning? John, I'm, I'm doing fine. Uh, it's, uh, you know, tomorrow is September 11th, and all of us are going to be observing that. It's a day in New York and the world and the United States that can never be forgotten, but especially here in New York where so many of us lost friends, neighbors, family relations. Just a horrible day. Uh, that was the, really the horrible part of September 11th. If there was a positive uh, part of September 11th, it was the fact that the United States came back stronger than ever. New York came back stronger than ever. 
We fought back, and uh, that was, to me, a sign of the resilience and greatness of New York. You know, 9-11 is 20 years ago, 21 years ago now? Actually, it's 22 years, John. 22, 22 years, years, my God. Is it different today, make, making New York coming back? Mayor Eric Adams said the other day that New York City could be doomed if things don't happen quickly. And it looks like San Francisco is dead. It looks like Chicago is dead and dying. Are we behind them, uh, Peter King? John, I'm, I'm afraid of that. And I'm not trying to equate it with the September 11th, which is so, so horrific. But what is really distressing about this is this is almost a self-inflicted wound we're suffering here with the migrant situation. You and I agree. I believe that the migrants, many of them are good people. I'm not personally against them, but the fact is the city of New York cannot handle 10,000 people coming in cold every month. No idea what their backgrounds are, uh, no idea what their health records are, what their educational equivalency is, nothing. And uh, we have no housing for them. We, now the schools have to educate them in all these different languages, not just Spanish, but languages from all over the world, from Africa, from other parts of South America, from Eastern Europe, from everywhere. So this is just a tremendous burden, which is not just a burden on, on the people of New York, but it's going to provide terrible conditions for the migrants coming in here. So that has to be stopped. I don't understand when Governor Hochul and Mayor Adams say that one way to answer it is see if the word freezes. That's only going to, uh, first of all, be more of a magnet to bring in migrants if they figure they can get a job here. But secondly, how about the people who waited online, the people who are who are following the rules, you know, the immigration rules to get into this country. So it's, uh, to me, the only real answer here, and it's really up to Joe Biden, because I believe he caused this by opening up the border, is to seal the border as much as possible. It was closed down almost completely under uh, uh, President Trump. To the extent people did get in, it was not a crisis. It was manageable. It was under control. But right now, it's uh, what we see here is a situation where it's out of control. It's going to add $12 billion dollars. New York City's deficit at a time when New York is trying to recover from COVID, when businesses still don't have people working in their offices, where you have, again, many empty offices around. We have businesses and uh, people with money leaving the city and state every day. So our uh, revenue base is going down. Major companies are leaving. And on top of that, we're having 10,000 migrants coming in every day, unplanned for, unexpected, with nothing for them other than what we have to do at the last minute, which is giving them hotel rooms around the city, now putting them in schools in places like Staten Island, where I really commend Vito Fasella, the borough president, for standing up on that. There's been talk of then trying to send them around the state. It's just not going to work, John. And the schools, I don't know how schools are going to manage with so many kids coming in. We have no idea what their educational records are. And many of them don't speak any, don't speak English. Many of them don't even speak Spanish. So this is a real turning point for New York. The mayor said it's, uh, New York is never going to be the city that it was before. It's going to be changed completely. And he's very concerned about it. But he's the one who praised New York for being a sanctuary city and was greeting these migrants coming into the Port Authority bus terminal with cell phones, flowers. Are, are, are you, th- you, you think he learned his lesson? You think uh, that he realizes that we're going to blow up New York City if we don't uh, straighten things out right now because it's getting out of control? Well, I think he realizes the city's going to blow up. I don't know if he realizes what has to be done. I mean, he's counting on Joe Biden to be sending us money and to be sending us help. There's no end to that. The only real answer is to seal the border, to close the border. 
And I don't see Joe Biden have any intention of doing that. And the mayor's got to start calling him out by name. The governor has to start calling him out by name. And you know, there's, you know, there's a limit to how far party loyalty can go. If this was a Republican president doing this, I would speak out as loudly as I could. Just because it's a Democratic president, there's no reason why Eric Adams should not speak out clearly. I wish he would attack Joe Biden with the same ferocity that he attacks Curtis Lewa. I mean, the fact is, uh, you have to be able, you have to speak out, and it means a lot more when you criticize somebody of your own party, especially on this, which John threatens the the lifeblood and the future of New York City. What else? I mean, it, it's just it's Sunday morning. What else is our country? I mean. Things are out of control on the border, too. I understand President Biden is going up to Alaska to to cut oil production even further. John, the first week that I was working for you at WABC, uh, Joe Biden, in his first executive order, said he was going to shut down oil production, shut down the pipelines. And you said at that time, this is going to be bad for the oil industry, but it's going to be worse for the entire economy because everything is going to be affected by this. And that was true. We've seen what happened to the economy once those pipelines were shut down, you know, what it did the production of oil. But now, the, uh, shutting down the oil production in Alaska is absolute insanity. He's caving into the progressive left. It's going to make the economy worse. It's going to make gas prices go up even higher. And as you were saying, not just gas prices, the prices of so many goods and products which are transported, that re, uh, require oil to be transported. It's absolutely disastrous why he's doing it. I have no idea. Also, this adding to the fact that he's not going to be in New York or Washington or Shanksville on September 11th. He's going to be in Alaska shutting down oil wells. It's going to hurt America's national defense and America's economy when he should be commemorating 9-11. Well, Congressman Peter King, we pray for our city. We pray for our state. We pray for our country and the world. Uh, thank you for everything you've done and continue to speak out. And we'll catch up again real soon. Thank you, John. And you and I and hope every New Yorker will never, ever forget 9-11. Absolutely. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. What is today is former Governor David Patterson, and uh, he is a common sense Democrat that uh, loves our city, loves our state, loves our country, loves the world. And uh, David Patterson, what are we doing to save the world? I don't know about the world, but we've got to try to save New York City. And there was a controversial town meeting up on the Upper West Side last Wednesday night where the mayor said that he has never been in a situation, a crisis, that he didn't see the end of it, like how it would all work out, and that right now he doesn't know how this is going to work out. If we're going to get 10,000 migrants every month, which is 120,000 a year, and we're not going to get any assistance from the federal government other than minuscule, and the state has done as much as they can actually do at this point before they would probably have to go into special session to give more money, he doesn't see an end. And he was criticized for that, for not being positive and talking about New York after September 11th and that kind of thing. But I think he has been positive up to now. I saw it as a rather surprising dose of honesty in, in the process. Yeah, sometimes even as a leader, you're not exactly sure which way things are going. And so I, what I see it as is a call to arms that Everybody in the city and the state gets together, and this is going to happen in other states, and the federal government's going to have to be accountable for this situation, which didn't have to happen when it happened. There could have been time for planning and 
using some of the federal facilities to help with the migrants. A whole lot of things I could list that they could have done, but they just sent the migrants here, and we have to live with it for the time being. I think it's a little more uh, challenging than that. I mean, uh, me and you have always supported, you know, the mayor, Mayor Adams, but it, it seems like he's having a lot of challenges, and he has the people uh, on the Democratic Party mad at him, and he has a lot of people in the Republican Party mad at him, and he's got a lot of independents mad at him. How does he solve that problem? Well, I think that a lot of Democrats have felt and justly in in a lot of cases, that immigrants came to this country, as soon as they got in and got citizenship, the first thing they did was turn their back on the immigrants who came in behind them. And there, I mean, I remember a situation I read about once where there was an immigrant community in Philadelphia in 1755, not 1955, 1755. And someone wrote an article about them saying that it was unsafe to be near them. They were unhealthy. They were criminals, they were violent, and that they were unacceptable for to live in this country. What's more interesting than the fact that that's what the article said was who wrote the article, and the person who wrote the article was Benjamin Franklin. So in other words, this kind of xenophobic attitude toward people who are coming into the country is something that many Democrats, including myself, have fought for years. However, when we start talking about large numbers of people coming in, And we don't have the resources to support them. When you have 21,000 children coming to the Board of Education and then they got criticized for not being ready on time, I don't see any way that they could have been ready on time. I think that it's the reason that the mayor is drawing this fire from basically both sides of the aisle. But I think it's clear that he is trying, trying to seek out solutions. But we've gotten a surprising silence from the entities that caused this problem in the first place. And I think it's a shame. What else would you like to talk about this Sunday morning? I'm having uh, my strong cup of coffee and, uh, and I worry about uh, our city, our state, and our country. Well, I think since it's Sunday morning and you're having a really good cup of coffee, John, that you probably are very elated about the event that was held honoring Tony Orlando, uh, and uh, obviously, uh, WABC on Thursday night, the 7th of September, it was spectacular. I mean, it was right on par with all the major events, uh, you know, that uh, people <laughs> almost scalped tickets to try to get into. So I have a question for you. And the question is, you've been an entrepreneur. You've been a store owner. You have been an investor. You're now a president of a communications service, uh, you know, WABC. What gives you the most joy in life? I enjoy communications. I enjoy telling the American people the truth. You know, I I tell people uh, I wanted to, you know, I always admired Walter Cronkite because 92% of the people in America at that time believed in Walter Cronkite and whatever he said they believed. And right now, uh, we are down to, what, 11%, David, that uh, of anybody believing anybody. I am um, uh, afraid of that, and um, I, I just want to be, I work very hard to make sure that, that uh, WABC and, uh, and uh, but I think we both do the same thing, that, the both, that people know the truth. What say you? Well, I think the event itself was a reflection of the city. Every race, religion, national origin, older people, younger people, disabled people were in attendance, and there are different 
feelings that people have, but I think that what this country needs right now is a little bit of understanding and for some of us to put ourselves in in the uh, shoes of other people. I mean, uh, I did not see this crisis coming, but a lot of people did, and I have to tip my hat to the fact that they recognized that we would have this migrant problem that we're having right now, which is also impinging upon our ability to educate children. Also, there are health care risks with people coming in, even though the children have two weeks to a month based on where they're coming from to be vaccinated when they come into the public school system. And Chancellor Banks has made that clear. I think a lot of people were thinking the children would come in and never be vaccinated. They have to be. But at the same time, I think listening to each other, listening to shows like this would give all of us, you know, maybe raising some of our points of view to a little higher spiritual level where we understand that we probably disagree about a lot of things. But if you asked most New Yorkers and most Americans what they would love most about this country, they would describe a country that's basically the same. So thank you for your service. And uh, it's great to have you on every Sunday. God bless you, and uh, God bless America. I enjoy working with you, and may we work together always. And uh, have a great great set. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. With us today is Carrie Martin, and she is the advocacy manager of the Clean Ocean Action Program, and she is as mad as me about losing whales. Carrie, uh, tell us about uh, what the heck is going on. So many whales are dying. Well, that's what Clean Ocean Action would like to know and, and hope an investigation is going to be done to investigate and find out what's going on with the whales. We had six died, uh, six that died and washed up in the month of August alone, and then we've had dozens of them wash up since December of 2022. So we're looking at what information is available. There's not much. We're trying to get as much as we can from the agencies about what the what impacts are, what's happening to the whales. And, you know, Clean Ocean Action and Ocean Advocacy Organization has been looking at pollution and industrialization activities in this region for nearly 40 years. And there is quite a large number of activities going on related to offshore wind at the time that these whale deaths and marine mammal deaths are happening. And we just want to find, we want an investigation to look into what these what these whales are dying from, if it's, you know, offshore wind activities or if it's any other concerns, obviously we would, we would like to know the answers. So we're calling for an investigation because there's too many washing up, too short of time and in a, in a small area of the ocean here. And I understand from some of the people I have talked to, because I'm very much concerned about it, is that when they dig holes or do their research, they're using some sonic booms or whatever. Mm -hmm. What do you hear on that? So according to the information shared by the federal government through the environmental impact statements and like the construction and operations plans for all of these offshore wind projects, the tools and devices used and methods used to do the survey work before they actually do the construction of these large wind farms. 
uses sonar and some seismic activities and, and tools and methods to characterize the seafloor, to look for, see what the substrate is, and see if the ocean floor can withstand um, and withhold the infrastructure that's needed for these projects. So some of those surveying tools and activities are allowed for the marine mammals and the animals in the ocean. And so the agencies have to give authorizations to companies to do these activities because of a known harm from these activities on the hearing of marine mammals particularly. But at the same time, when uh, the federal agencies are, you know, asked about what's causing the impacts, of these, the, the deaths of these whales, they've been very quick to and confident to say that it's not the offshore wind activities uh, without the evidence to show that it's not. So the activities that are going on right now for the many offshore wind uh, facilities off the coast that's being proposed are only the pre-construction activities. The construction activities are to follow and quickly, and they're going to be louder and much more harmful. Eventually, uh, if they're in operation, it kills uh, thousands of birds. So for yeah, during operations and maintenance, there's going to be thousands of trips for these vessels going in and out of ports out to these facilities. There's also the operation and, and operations of the actual turbines themselves, like you said. So these facilities that are being proposed are going to impact the ecosystem, the ocean ecosystem from the benthic or the bottom all the way to above the ocean in the air but with the birds. So, you know, the impacts we're starting to see, you know, the activities move forward very quickly and in a very large manner with there's actually 30 projects in the Northeast alone from Massachusetts down to New Jersey for offshore wind being proposed with more to the south and more in the future as well. Is New Jersey going forward with their $12 billion program? So actually New York and New Jersey are actually in the process of doing their third solicitation for more offshore wind projects to identify companies that are going to bring the power ashore from these offshore lease areas. So this is the third solicitation. And for each state, this third solicitation will double in each state what they already have approved for offshore wind off our coast. So it's, it's moving forward quickly in a big way. There's commitments at the state and federal level for offshore wind and really quickly. There's federal incentives whether it's subsidies or actually if you get, you know, the infrastructure on the ground by 2026, then they get, you know, additional incentives. So it's really, you know, there's incentives out there. And of course, climate change is a concern that Clean Ocean Action has, but we we feel that there are more ways that are cheaper, safer, more efficient to be done on land before we, you know, go full scale out in the ocean as, as being proposed. Well, Carrie Martin, thank you for briefing us on what's going on and uh, the possibilities of why our, our whales are dying. And, you know, I love whales and I love birds. And, and I don't think that's the answer for uh, our future energy needs. And, you know, it's like uh, saying uh, we, we can go into it and into it, but I just uh, think you're doing the right thing investigating it because I love those whales and God bless you and God bless uh, America. So Carrie, keep, Carrie Martin, you're the manager in charge of Clean Ocean Action. Keep doing your investigations and keep us informed. Thank you for informing everyone as well and, 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 and being interested in the issue. It's very serious and um, happening really, really quickly in a big way. Well, thank you and God bless you and God bless America. Thank you. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. With us today, this Sunday morning, is uh, Vito Fusella, the borough president of, uh, of Staten Island. 
Things have been happening in Staten Island trying to protect our citizens. Uh, Vito Fasella, tell us what's going on. Well, it's great to be with you, as always, John, and I hope you had a great birthday week. You deserve it more than anybody. And unfortunately, this week is just we're seeing the migrant crisis continue to spin out of control. I think more and more people are recognizing what we said about a year ago, that when you open the door to New York City and say we're going to give you free hotels and free meals and and everything else associated with that, that sooner or later uh, you're going to hit a break point and that the policy itself, this concept of a right to shelter for anybody who wants to come to the city can be accommodated and, and be put up for nothing, that policy by definition would be unsustainable. And that's what we're seeing. Neighborhood after neighborhood, uh, people are recognizing that, that this is a big problem and, and a crisis, if you will, because there is no end in sight. We have been fighting a good fight on Staten Island in the area of Aracar section, converting a, an old, a former uh, all-girls Catholic school to a migrant shelter, and it's right across the street from another all-girls Catholic school, as well as two elementary schools, and not to mention in the heart of a beautiful residential neighborhood. And all of that, what it means is adding up is it's a bad thing for New York City and it could get worse and it may get worse. And that's not what we should be doing. We should be focusing on improving the quality of life for taxpayers, making things better, new schools, new, new parks, you know, lower taxes when possible. And then instead, we're absorbed by this, this crisis. And I, I just hope that everybody sits around one table and recognizes that this thing has to stop because it's only getting worse before it gets better. There's so many problems, and you know, uh, I I've said to, to the mayor, and I've said to uh, every other official, why are we uh, burdening our citizens in our city? Why can't we just put them in Rikers Island? And we, you know what I said, Vito, to them? Let's change the name of Rikers Island to Ellis Island too. Let the, I believe in yeah, immigration. Ellis Island too. Yes, Ellis Island too. I believe in immigration. Put them on Ellis Island and check them out. Make sure there's no. There's no diseases. Make sure that they're healthy. Make sure the kids are, are get vaccinated and are healthy before you put them into to the schools next to uh, our, our kids. Uh, make sure there's no terrorists and, and, and no drug dealers. That's what Ellis Island used to do. So all of a sudden, immigration, yes, but let's be smarter about it. What do you think? John, I couldn't have said it better myself uh, because it's common sense and it's rooted in what doing the right thing is all about for the citizens and taxpayers. And you alluded to the fact that uh, young migrant children and they are the let's put it this way. They are the most innocent in all of this because they haven't controlled their destiny. Others have so putting that aside. The fact is that ordinary, if you will, citizens, if they send their kids to school, have to demonstrate full immunization and vaccination for a number of diseases. And the city is basically saying that the migrant children do not have to comply with that standard. So, you know, who knows what some of these kids are going to be going into a school with and potentially infecting not just other students, but teachers and faculty. And you're right, years ago, there were, we have big proponents of legal immigration. You know, I'm, you're, you're the child of, of Greek and, dare I say, Italian ancestors, right? Uh, yes. And I am a, of Italian and Irish and so many others. And we are not standing in the way of that. In fact, we think that it should be a better approach to illegal immigration. But you can't just turn the spigot on and let yes. it flow incessantly. And, and that's what they're doing. And, and it's very sad. And, and the people that are suffering is the citizens 
of our uh, city. And you don't know the, the criminals are running around. Some of like Venezuela and some other countries, they're opening up their jails, Vito, and, and, and getting rid of them and saying, okay, you don't have to be in jail. We don't want to feed you because it costs us a lot of money to feed you in jail. So we're sending you to the United States. We're stupid enough to take them. And then the, the, the other story I heard, and, you know, I tell all my gay friends, beware of, of the migrants. You know why? They're opening up their hospitals and sending the gay people with AIDS to the United States, promising them they'll get a better health in, in the United States. So they're, they're, they're emptying out their hospitals and emptying out their jails. You know, we live in a world where information can be shared in instantaneously. So all around the world, and we've seen it, people have said, they, and it's not just coming up from Venezuela or, or South American countries, they're coming from all over the world because they have been told or they've realized that all they need to do is get to Mexico and walk across the border, and then they will be held and put up for nothing, as I say, in New York City. So if you're destitute or have two pennies to your name and you're living in the middle of West Africa and you hear this, what are you going to do? You're going to say, I'm going to do I'm taking that trip. I'm rolling the dice. And who pays the bill? The New York City taxpayer. And it's just not right. And the federal government has a responsibility to shut the border down because, like I said, it's a spigot, a faucet. The water just keeps on coming out. And if the sink is getting full, you don't just get more pots and pans to bail out the sink. You shut off the faucet first. So that's the first thing. And deal with the issue before us, before we absorb any more casualties or any more problems. You know, the Hippocratic Oath is what? Do no harm. And what we're doing now is violating that oath and bringing harm to this city, taxpayers, and parents who are concerned, like back to Staten Island, are concerned that they are migrants a few feet from when their child goes to school. And I wouldn't want that for my kids, and they shouldn't either. Vito Fasella, borough president of uh, Staten Island, defend your island. Thank you so much for coming on this Sunday morning. Anything God bless you, John. We will stand strong on Staten Island now and forever. Thank you. God bless. The number one show on Fox Business every day between 4 and 5. And, and the number one show uh, uh, on WABC Saturday mornings between, uh, what is it, 10 and 1. And uh, Larry Kudlow. Well, you you looked great last night at the uh, WABC party for for uh, cousin Brucey, and I saw you blow out those cakes. Happy birthday, Larry Kudlow! <laughs> Thank you, John. My biggest thrill was being able to talk to cousin Brucey. I loved it. I loved he, it. he is, you know, when I introduced cousin Brucey last night, I specifically said uh, when he plays that music. See the success of of people. Uh, in the music business is the type of music they play and the songs they pay, play. And I said, Cousin Brucey, when I listen to you on a Saturday night uh, and you play those songs, I remember who I was with and what I was doing, and it brings back pleasant memories. Well, I told him, I said, so, Bruce, I said, I used to own a Pontiac, and in those days, they had bench seats in the front. So here I am with my date Ooh. listening to Cousin Brucey, and I'm not going to tell you what else I was going to say, Larry, you don't have to go any further, okay? I'm not, <laughs> not going to tell you what else happened, 
But we did it to Cousin Brucey and his song. Oh! <laughs> did you just hear that confession, My John? God. From our dear friend Larry Kudlow? How wow. Many, how many other volunteers do we have to Anybody say else in the room? <laughs> I, well, I, you know, I am. I am of a certain age where they still had bench seats in the front. Wait, wait, and Governor Gosh, Patterson sounded like he was about to confess. Wait a minute. Gosh, Gosh, only, was that was that fun? The only thing that I can confess is I was with nobody in those days. Oh. <laughs> Very jealous of Larry. Well, Larry Kudlow, the economy. Uh, there's so many, you know, ifs, ands, buts. Uh, where do you stand, and what the hell uh, is the Fed going to do? So, what is it, September 19th is the uh, next Fed uh, meeting? Yeah, uh, I don't expect them to do anything. Um, but I, I want to say, John, I think the biggest event on the economy this week was, number one, uh, the Saudis and the Russians and the Venezuelans and the Iranians, OPEC+. plus. Uh, cut production, cut all production again. So prices went up uh, seven, eight bucks, and it's going to be reflected in higher gasoline prices. So wholesale prices up on the world market, gasoline prices. But here's the thing. What did Joe Biden do? He announces uh, executive order to stop lease sales in Anwar in Alaska. Okay? So in effect, his answer to their production cuts was more production cuts, okay? Yeah, because and, and the price happen. of bread went to $90. So I just want to make this other point. Um, he violated the law because lease sales in Anwar were part of the 2017 tax cut, the Trump tax cut, included lease sales. In fact, we had Mike Summers on from the API. It was in there as a revenue measure. Now, this is the Supreme Court has ruled against this. You cannot, by executive order, you cannot overturn a congressional legislation or a congressional mandate. So he broke the law and he sided, in effect, with OPEC Plus, with more production cuts, which is going to raise gasoline prices, which is going to damage middle class, blue collar workers, and real wages are going to sink even more. This is a terrible decision, all in the name of some emergency climate change, which, in my opinion, is as phony as a $3 bill. That was the biggest news this week. I agree. Now, there was another Wall Street Journal article about the uh, a lot of the smaller banks are scared for their own existence. And uh, uh, what have you heard? Well, I'm hearing, I mean, you've got, um, you got a big problem with commercial real estate. That's going to be the big thing. Um, you texted me that good article. Uh, we had Dennis O'Leary on. He talked about that earlier uh, in the week. Uh, you're going to have uh, defaults. And the smaller banks, the so-called regional banks, uh, could be in some trouble on that. So we'll we'll wait and see. I don't want to be I don't want to be prejudge it. I'm just saying there's a major risk. You also uh, this coming week you're going to get inflation numbers, and um, these are always hard to predict. But I think the CPI is going to be up again. 
Uh, this will be the third straight month that actually increases. Not only the 12-month change, but the month-over-month change could come in 0.7, 0.8. Now, that might influence the Fed, okay? That's a maybe. But they create their own that. banana peel because the oil went to $90 a barrel over the last uh, 45 days. And it's, it's got to go up. I mean, don't they, aren't they smart enough to realize the reason it's going up? No. I mean, the short answer is no. But the longer answer is that Joe Biden's spending a lot of money. The deficit in FY23 this year, which ends September 30th, uh, the deficit's going to be about $2 trillion or more. That's twice what it was last year. They're still spending enormously on all these green uh, subsidies. So that's inflationary right there. And of course, they're making the oil situation worse uh, because of this uh, climate change stuff. And I just want to say, I'm not a climate denier. What I am is a climate emergency denier. This is John Katz from TV's. If you want to hear the full interview, go to WABCRadio.com. This is the Katz Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Katz Roundtable. And joining us now is the chief financial officer, also is one of the head folks there with the fire department in Florida, the great Jimmy Patronus, our friend down there in Florida. Jimmy, first off, let's get into all this stuff with electric vehicles and sure. all the big issues. It just seems like one well, big bust. What happened bust. with the hurricane? Yeah, well, the, well, they're waiting. There's a, yeah, and actually the latest you had, I know when we last spoke with you, the hurricane, there was a huge issue with the last one with Adalia. Lee is now churning off the coast. We don't know what's going to happen with that. But what are the lessons learned from the last one as you might gear up for, sadly, another one? Sure. So if this thing affects, you know, your coastline up around New York, you need to, anybody who has an electric vehicle needs to get it as far away from saltwater as possible. We did have some fires in Pinellas County. That's the Clearwater, St. Petersburg area that were due to saltwater flooding. And so we actually had a symposium. This week at the fire college, we have a fire college that we run in, in Florida, and we had everybody, we had NHTSA there, we had Tesla, we had General Motors, all everybody coming together with about 250 fire chiefs, again, bringing together solutions because this is a real problem. Yeah, people still seem like still unaware what to do with all of this. And the whole thing with all these mandates, Jimmy, we see a couple of the auto companies coming out this week saying they're not going to make their goal because it's just not realistic. They're like shoving it down our throats. And they said the price of batteries are dropping because of the volume. Well, and, and the dealers are pushing back also. The dealers don't like these things being shoved down their throats. The dealers have to add all this infrastructure on site. They have to send their techs off for new training. And then there's the fear that the manufacturers are trying to circumvent the dealers and sell direct the way Tesla does with their business model. So, again, a, a lot of disruption in the auto industry. You know, the, the fear is, is, look, we're so dependent on China for everything. Now we're going to be dependent even more for them as EVs are incentivized to the tune of $7,500 a piece to, to uh, an American household. So, I mean, it's just, uh, look, and I, and I think it's fantastic technology, but but there are some inherent risks with it that have to be addressed. Yeah, give people a choice. Don't, don't like, force it to them and mandate them, especially at a time like this. Uh, we're talking to the CFO of Florida, Jimmy Petronas, Judge Weinberg. Jimmy, and also the uh, Biden administration is now subsidizing transition in factories to the tune of $16 billion to do conversions from the gas 
motored cars to electric cars. So what they're doing fundamentally is the government is doing state decision-making rather than the market. What do you say about that? Uh, Again, I I agree with you 100%. This administration is so out of touch for what the pain and suffering people are dealing with, with real inflation, with real increase in interest rates, what it's doing to uh, insurance rates all over, not just Florida, all over America. And and as they continue down this this half-baked solution of trying to save the world from carbon, it's it's ultimately just hitting. It's it's a tax. It's a tax on the middle class. And and it's but you know, it, look, Biden's not running the administration. The teleprompter is. Well, thank you, uh, Jimmy. Anything else you want to tell the American people? Yeah, yeah, Mr. John, I just finished making some avgolemonol for my wife. She's got a cold. Is She's, COVID uh, coming back? Yeah, it is coming back. Uh, and, then, and then, but here's the last thing I'll, I'll leave with you, which I do, I got to give uh, credit where credit's due. Prior to the landfall of Hurricane Idalia in Florida, Tesla did send out a, a notice to their owners of Tesla vehicles in the state of Florida with some warnings and guidance about taking your car to, to higher ground. So I do appreciate Tesla starting to lean forward in trying to address the concerns and threats of where EVs don't mix with salt water. Bravo. Bravo. Thank you. Thank you very much. And, uh, Jimmy, have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you again real soon. And good luck to your wife, too. I hope she feels better. Thanks, Thanks, Rita. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear John. Happy We've got an even bigger surprise because calling in right now is our friend, the Speaker of the House, who was in Japan for the G7 Speakers meeting, the one and only Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Uh, Mr. Speaker, so great to have you on this special birthday show for the great John Katsimatidis. Wow. Well, I would not miss it. Happy birthday, John. Thank you, you, Mr. Speaker. In Congress, we have a special birthday song. I don't have a great voice, but I'm going to sing it to you. This is your birthday song. It doesn't last too long. Hey! (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry, ma'am. I know you need this medicine, but it looks like it's not covered by your insurance. Yeah, unfortunately, I had to deny that one. Wait, who are you? I'm your insurance company's pharmacy benefit manager. I get paid based on the price of a medicine, and I don't make as much money off this one. No one should stand between you and your medicine. Visit phrma.org slash middleman to learn more. Paid for by Pharma. (laughs) Now, you're in Japan. Don't drink the water. Isn't that, aren't they releasing all that radioactive water into the into the uh, system? No, no, no. That, don't, don't believe the Chinese hype. They, okay. They've cleaned everything up. Everything's fine. I'm in Japan for a G7 meeting. I'm trying to get these countries to buy more of American natural gas. It'll make the world a safer place. If we just replace Russian natural gas in Europe for one year, we'd lower 218 million tons of CO2 emissions because American natural gas is cleaner. Create more jobs in America, make the world safer. It's all the things, the, the common sense stuff that you talk about, John. And so I would not miss your birthday. And I'm glad I got to be a little part of it. And hopefully you have another 75 great years. Well, thank you, Kevin. And I'll meet you at 100. All right. <laughs> <laughs>
Kevin, thank you for calling in all the way from Japan. We love you. And, uh, and here's to Bakersfield, right? <laughs> here's to That's Bakersfield. Right, <laughs> thank you, my Take friend. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Calling oh. in on my phone, we have <laughs> Senator Schumer. Senator, how are you? Senator? Did I get it? Here, so the reception might be bad, but I wanted a good reception or bad reception. You deserve a great happy birthday. You've been my friend for 40 years, and uh, I wish you the best. Have a great one. Well, thank you, Senator, and uh, thank you for wishing me happy birthday. And a million people are hearing you, and God bless you, and God bless America. Thank you so much. God bless America, and God bless John Katsimatidis and his wonderful family. Thank you so much. Talk Take soon. Care. Bye-bye. Thank you for being with us for the Cats Roundtable Local Edition, the number one show on Sunday mornings in New York. Keep listening to us for the Cats Roundtable National Edition between 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock. So we'll be back to you in a few minutes after the news. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.